Have you dreamed of bigger things for your life? Then you are in the right place. Each week, you will be given tips on how to change your inner dialogue, conquer your goals, and ways to step into a higher version of yourself. I'm your host, Lauren Kubat. I'm a motivational speaker who hosts personal development events. I'm a sought-after fitness instructor, a wife, and a mom of two young boys. I'm obsessed with all things personal development, and I believe anyone can achieve the life they want. Let the Become Your Vision podcast be the inspiration you need to step into greater things. Now let's go. Hi guys, welcome back to the show, or maybe this is your first time listening. I appreciate you for tuning in. Today, we have a wonderful guest. Her name is Sam Gwazdowskis. She is a certified strength and conditioning specialist. She's also a certified sports nutritionist. She has a master's. She is very knowledgeable in the fitness and nutrition world. Uh, She would be called a fitness influencer technically on Instagram and I have been following her for a few years now and one of the reasons why I was so drawn to her Instagram page is because she shares all different types of photos related to her body. So she shares, you know, um, workouts, but she also shares the normal, normal sides of her body, you know, the sides where it's not the best angle or when she sits down, she does have an overhang like we all do in our natural state. But, you know, Instagram can be a place where people can go and just act like they have the most perfect life and the perfect body. And Sam doesn't do that. She is very real with her her body, her transformation, her struggles. And that's why I was so, like I said, drawn to her. So today she shares her story with fitness and nutrition and how at one point in her life, she struggled for a really long time. She was on this chase for perfect and what perfect meant to her and how it wasn't sustainable and really how you can never find perfect. It's something we create in our own heads. And then when we get to a point where we thought we would be happy, once we get to the point, we realize that that wasn't the ultimate goal, right? At the end of the day, we all want to be at peace and happy with our ourselves. And happiness doesn't come from being a certain weight on the scale or certain measurement. And we have to really search internally to figure out what makes us happy as as humans. And I think you are going to relate to Sam's story and realize that you're not alone in your own thoughts and how you ultimately have to sit with yourself at the end of the day and really get intentional about the life you want to live. So without further ado, I introduce you guys to Sam. And if you love this episode, please make sure you leave a review, share it with a friend, share it on social media. That's how we get stories like Sam's out into the world and into the ears of people that really need to hear this message. Okay, enjoy. 
Hi guys, welcome back to the show. Today I have Sam. How do you say your last name? Gwazdowskis. I know it's a lot and it's not even, I mean, it's the W and the Z. I think that people get cut up on, but Gwazdowskis is the full thing. Gwazdowskis. Now is that Polish? Close. It is Lithuanian. Lithuanian. Interesting. (laughs) So I found you, I would say a few years ago and I want to say you were one of the first fitness influencers who shared unfiltered and maybe not always the best angle. And that was very attractive to me because I was like, oh, she's real. And now I feel like everybody's kind of a little bit more vulnerable and transparent and social media has changed. But was that your journey? Was, Was that strange to post like, uh, photos that were unfiltered or have you always felt comfortable with being yourself on Instagram specifically? I certainly not. I, for a very long time, I didn't feel comfortable in this body. I didn't feel comfortable sharing the less than perfect moments or the unfiltered or, you know, all that different stuff. It took me a very long time to feel that way. Even sharing um, like when I first started this, I was sharing a lot of before and after photos, like even sharing those before photos was a really difficult thing for me. And because I, I was embarrassed that that was me and that that was a part of my journey and that I ever, you know, looked away that wasn't, you know, what people coveted. Right. Mm. And so it took me, I mean, really, I was just breaking down, trying to uphold this standard and especially working in the health and fitness industry, being a trainer, being a nutrition coach, I felt the pressure of always having to look the part. And a part of me too, when I got into this was like, oh, this is the motivation and the the push that I need to maintain this and to, you know, like who's going to trust me with their journey if I can't even do it myself, or if I can't even maintain this myself. So I figured this was going to put pressure on me to always maintain a certain size and shape and down the road, you know, like trying to uphold that standard and expectation of myself. It was just tearing me apart. I was living almost two lives, like my in-person life. And then my online life where I only showed off, you know, certain things. And I only posted photos of when I was really lean and I just, felt so disconnected from myself and trying to be two different people. It eventually wore me down. And eventually Mm -hmm. I learned too, that, you know, what I was doing was unsustainable, even though it felt, it felt differently as I was doing it, like the counting the macros and exercising every day, no matter how much I was eating, even when I was still tracking, I still felt so consumed with the thought of food And so consumed with how I looked that the outside, anything outside of that was just not a part of my life, which was not how I wanted to live my life. So Mm. it really just wore me down to the point where I just, I cared a little less and I wanted to just be honest. And I want, and I saw other people doing it too. I certainly wasn't the first, uh, but I saw other people really embracing health at whatever size they were at or embracing their mental health journey as a first step of a sustainable 
physical health journey. Mm. And I saw that as a road that I knew I needed to take, especially having a history with an eating disorder. Mm -hmm. I knew that that was going to be the route that I needed to be healthy long-term, not just this week or this month or this year, but really for a long-term, you know, re-strategy because I tried everything else. And so Mm. this was really kind of the shifting point for me was, okay, I've tried everything. I have this education, right? Like I've studied nutrition and exercise science for six years and I was in the industry. Like I felt like I had the knowledge and education, but getting myself to put my mental health first Mm. was very difficult. And and basically it took me 25 plus years to get to the point where I was willing to put my mental health before my physical shape and size and, and body weight and things like that. Right. And that's interesting. You you talk about the importance of the mindset and I want to get into that because I think that's such a huge, huge part. And, um, the health industry can take a mental toll on, on your mindset. And I want to read one of your Instagram posts to kind of give the listener a little bit insight if they're unfamiliar with you or they, if they don't follow you and, uh, um, Okay. So a couple of weeks ago, or you posted, it's been a while since I've shared my story. And, and in that you share your, I guess, before picture, which were, you were on, on stage where you, you were competing, correct? Yep. Competing in bodybuilding. Okay. And how long did you do that for? About three years. Okay. Okay. And how long ago was that? That was probably four or five years ago that I eh, like maybe four years ago now. Okay. Us on stage. Yeah. And then now, and then you showed a picture of where you're at now. And so I'll, I'll read it. So it's been a while since I've shared my story, how I escaped the all consuming thoughts and desires to be the smallest version of myself at any cost. Most of my life, I was desperate to be thin, beautiful, like what I saw on TV shows and in magazines to me, to be beautiful was to be thin. Then I did it. I tortured myself into losing 40 pounds and I was pretty proud, but still incredibly unhappy. I was actually even more insecure now desperate for bigger boobs and a bigger, butt. it was never enough. When I could see my abs, my butt wasn't big enough. When my butt was bigger, my stomach wasn't flat enough. And so the chase continued for years with extreme weight fluctuations. My self-confidence and happiness was controlled by how I looked. I wasn't able to enjoy life because I was so busy trying to change my appearance until I decided after years of killing myself in in an attempt to look better, that the healthiest version of myself was going to be enough for me, not just physically, but mentally, emotionally, spiritually, financially, et cetera. I decided that's the person I wanted to be not the smallest, but the healthiest, but I wasn't convinced overnight. I still struggle with accepting that version of myself. Sometimes comparison to others. And even my past self is really the bitch that keeps on giving. I have bad body image days, eat cookies until my tummy hurts accidentally. Of course, get too little sleep sometimes, but your best slash healthiest isn't a destination. Isn't on a linear path. It's what you choose to give, what you choose to do, who you choose to be every day, our minute. And that's allowed to change over time as you're presented with new information. So do you want to be your healthiest version of yourself or the smallest? They're not mutually exclusive. I thought that was so 
relatable because, you know, we as humans, as women, um, you know, it seems like we're on this constant chase, depending on when you're, where you're at in your journey. I feel like the teenage years and in your twenties, especially even thirties, um, I I've realized myself, I've become more confident than I've ever been, but I still have my own issues like you have with comparison and comparing your, um, what you used to like to your current self or your yesterday self to, you know, uh, your today self or how thin you were in the morning compared to how, you know, how bloated you are in the evening, whatever it is, we're on this constant chase. So what, was the catalyst for your change? How have you gotten to this point where you are comfortable with the size and shape, the body um, that you're in? And not only that, but you have a healthier mindset. So you talked about your eating disorder. Can you share this like journey of where you were at before and where you currently are? Yeah. So I guess like the worst things ever got for me, I was binging all the time, purging. I was over exercising. I would, you know, go on the treadmill and I'd walk or I'd run until I almost passed out. I would not eat for most of the day. And then I would have one meal or one really small, like veggie based meal. Like I was trying to eat less and do more. And every time I engaged in these types of things, I would feel terrible about myself. I would, I remember crying and uh, like thinking to myself, like, how did I put myself through this again? Like, how am I here again? Like so unhappy with, and so embarrassed too, because a lot of those things are really embarrassing. They're not things that are heavily talked about. They're not things that you want to admit that you're doing, like you're destroying Mm. yourself, um, thinking that you're going to be better for it, but Mm. also knowing that that's not the case. And like, I had this awareness, but this inability to be in control. Mm. And, And that was scary to me. That was really, really scary to me through, and this is through years and years, I was kind of engaging in this really toxic behavior. And a lot of it came, well, it all came from feeling that I was too large, that I was too fat, that, you know, the way that I was, was not good enough for Mm. myself, but mostly for other people, you know, wanting, especially being a girl, wanting to be looked at as attractive by, by men and boys when I was in high school, you know, like you want to be popular, you want to be liked, you want to be seen as beautiful, And I just never felt that way about myself. Not that any one person ever told me like directly that I wasn't, but, you know, I went to the doctor and they told me to lose weight when I was a kid. I, you know, you'd see it just appearing in media too, where the chubbier kids were always looked down on, or, you know, they were never a shining role in any TV series or movie. Mm -hmm. And so you just cultivate this perspective of what, uh, like leading character looks like, or what a, you know, a beautiful person that's liked and loved looks like. And I just never felt that way. And it got to a point where obviously I cultivated this eating disorder and pursued a degree in nutrition, basically for the sole purpose of, you know, how can I be the master of this body? Like, how can mm-hmm. I become what I'm so driven and motivated to be? 
And so I went through my education and I found bodybuilding and I started tracking macros and I started lifting weights and for a little while tracking and lifting weights really empowered me. It helped me justify in a way eating more food. And it showed me the power of food as fuel, Mm. even after, you know, years of studying nutrition in undergrad, it wasn't until my master's program that I really found tracking macros and started looking at it from more of a uh, experimental perspective. I went to a very science-based university for my master's. And so we did a lot of research and studies that surrounded like bodybuilding and body recomposition or weight loss. And so it was really interesting to me. I was able to monitor my body from a really unique perspective. I was doing like bod pod testing. So like body composition testing every week, like I was really able to use my body as this tool for experimentation, which really excited me because not only was I able to look at it from this perspective, but I was seeing progress and seeing results from the things that I was doing, you know, in small quantities, but it was really motivating. So for a short while, macros tracking and all that really did help me subside a lot of the eating disordered thoughts and actions that I had previously been engaging in. Mm -hmm. But then I got to the leanest I'd ever been and transitioning from being so lean to gaining weight, no matter how much it was and how much I knew I needed to gain, it really took a toll on me mentally and really brought back a lot of those eating disorder habits and thoughts. And so then it became this cycle of, okay, I'm going to lose the weight and then I'm going to gain the weight and then I'm going to lose the weight and then I'm going to gain the weight. Yeah. After, you know, a few cycles of doing that, I just, I was so mentally and physically exhausted and I knew how unsustainable it was. And I knew how narrow-minded I had become or at least I was open to the idea of, you know, my body shouldn't be the most important thing to me. And at the time I moved to California and I, I didn't want to be alone. I wanted to start. I didn't want this fitness and nutrition thing to be my entire life. Mm. And I knew if I was feeling out of control of myself and out of, you know, feeling anxious around food or feeling anxious in social situations, that wasn't going to, that wasn't a life I wanted to live, but that was absolutely not something that I wanted to bring another person into Mm. and have that be a a terrible relationship. Like I knew I had the awareness that I couldn't be in a relationship and be in this place in my life. So then I started this kind of transformational journey, I would say of letting go of macros, and easing into, well, not easing into, I basically jumped like head first <laughs> into removing macros and seeing like what happened the same way I introduced macros and I introduced weight training. And I observed, you know, what happened there. I observed what happened when I just let go and I allowed my body the time to kind of overcompensate. I ended up gaining quite a few pounds mm-hmm. and you know, that didn't feel great, but I was like, this is, you know, I'm, I'm going to continue. I'm trusting this process that at the end of this, I'm going to feel better around food. I'm going to feel better in the gym. I'm going to enjoy the things that I used to with training and nutrition, and I'm going to find the things that make me and help me feel better. So I kind of just trusted blindly this process that I didn't even really have a whole lot of clarity on because it's not something that I had been introduced to previously. But um, I just let myself go and fall into more or less like what I practice now, which is mindful eating. 
Mm. But it took me a long time to get there and a lot of patience and weight gain and essentially experiencing a lot of the things that were taught to fear and look down on. I had to kind of embrace that for a little while and trust that, you know, and it kind of having that in the back of my head of like, okay, if I really, really want to, and I really feel I need to macros are right there. Like I know how to jump back on if I really feel I need to. So I, I always had that kind of safety net of if I really feel terrible and this is, doesn't feel like it's working for me, I can mm-hmm. always go back, but I never mm-hmm. went back. <laughs> and I, and I figured out too, like a lot of those habits that I was practicing when I was tracking, I still can implement them. Like right. they're not off limits simply because I did them when I was tracking or I was doing them when I was in a, a lesser mental health space. So I was able to like, think about that a little bit more rationally of like, these are actually things that help me feel good and I can still implement them, but I don't have to track them and keep them, you know, so organized. Obsess over them. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Now, then- was this during your competing days where you fell into the obsession of counting and over-exercising? Do you feel like that was kind of like the straw that broke the camel's back in other words, or what do you feel like where, where you got to your lowest point? What led you to that? Do you think? Yeah, it was partially competing. Okay. I think that, yeah, obsessing over the numbers and my, okay. and, you know, feeling like, okay, I have to have at least 60 minutes to work out. Like if I had gotcha. 30, I'd be like, Oh, what a waste. Uh, you know, like really having this set rules that I had created for myself of what, you know, a good day looked like in terms of nutrition and fitness. And so that was how, especially how, like, that was just how I judged myself Mm. day to day was based on those parameters. And that really, I guess, started through bodybuilding and getting into that routine and for years, basically following that routine and setting the standard for myself based on those things. Uh, But really that was, it was really through bodybuilding and having this, this goal and set time. I knew I was going to be on stage and I knew I wanted to, you know, be at my best, you know, like I, I like to compete and I liked to do well. And so that was a part of it, but mostly it was like, I wanted to be this to, you know, unfortunately show other people that I can and do what a lot of people right. say they can't do. So there was a little bit of competitiveness in that aspect as well. I feel like it's something that could probably go on like this, this it's like a tumbleweed, right. Or, um, a snowball on an avalanche, like it, it can spiral out of control. Um, and I've never competed, but I've talked with, um, interviewed past competitors before and some, you know, have a great relationship with their, their bodies post-competition while others, it can be really, really hard because you look at photos of yourself at your leanest and you're, you're, you know, essentially on stage being judged by others, whether your body is, is good enough. And it's being compared to the other women, um, on the stage as well. Do you feel like your obsession with chasing perfect affected your relationships? Like, were you dating at the time or, um, you know, relationship with your parents or friends? Do you think, do you feel like it affected you? Absolutely. I was so much more irritable. I was much more isolated. Like I isolated myself Mm. a lot and 
I remember like certain, like my sister, she came to one of my competitions and she was just like, I honestly can't stand you. She was like, if you talk about food one more time, I'm going to lose it. And I didn't even realize because I'd been competing and prepping basically by myself. Like I had some lifting partners and, and it, you know, my interactions with people like friends and whatever was so minimal because I was so far away from them Mm. geographically. This is when I was in grad school. So I was in Georgia, all my family was in Washington or, you know, wherever. So I, I was isolated. I isolated myself. I didn't even know I was, I, my behaviors and things had changed because I just didn't, I wasn't really around people all the time, but yeah, I remember my sister saying like, you're intolerable. Like you're, <laughs> I can't stand you. And, yeah. I was, and I remember I was so upset about it. I was like, you know, cause I mean, I just had no idea. And right. I never want to be a bad person. I never want to make people feel uncomfortable. I never want to, I mean, that draws back to being likable, right? Like a lot of what I was doing, I thought would make me more likable, but it, it, you know, it's kind of the eye-opening experience of like, you know, it it doesn't make me a better person, you know? And and I remember too, I was teaching at the time when I was prepping for my first show and like I have teaching fitness. Uh, yeah, sort of like I was training okay. and things like that, but I remember re- rearranging my lesson plans to where I had them, I had my students like pre- present for like the last like month of, <laughs> of the semester, because I was like, I can't stand in front of you. And like, and it was, I just made it their final that they had to present like a 10 minute lecture on like, whatever they like, whatever the class was on. Wait, wh- I- you couldn't stand in front of them because of why? I was exhausted Oh, and I had like no mental space for anything like studying. I was just so drained. I was a shell of a human. Yeah. Like I had no sense of humor. I would listen to music and I would be like, I I didn't like it. Like I didn't even like stupid. (laughs) I remember having that realization of like, I can't believe I can't listen to music. None of it was good. Like I just, it's one of those crazy things that I look back on and I'm like, I can't believe I wanted to do this again right. after the first time because it was so draining, but I was successful. And that's what really motivated me and led me to- What do you so mean proud. by successful? You won or what do you mean by that? I got really small. Okay. <laughs> like I, um, I can't remember how, I think I maybe lost like 30, 35 pounds for my first show. And I was mm. at like, eight, 9% body fat. Oh, and that was the first time that I realized, Oh, oh, I can't just be skinny. I actually don't have as much muscle as I thought that I did. Mm. So then I was like, Oh shit. Like I really need to work on growing my glutes and, you know, changing these other things. And so it was kind of this, you know, bittersweet moment of one thing, but now here's the other, here are the other things that I want to work on for next time. How many competitions have you done? I have done only two actually. Okay. So it was that one. And then the other one where you felt like you had to gain more muscle. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So I went through a reverse and even that, I, I don't think I gave myself as much time as I really truly needed. And I think that's something that I encounter a lot with even clients, you know, you mm-hmm. want results and you want them now. And especially when you're considering your mental health to the process and you're putting that first, it's going to take you so much longer to achieve any physical goal. If you're putting your mental health first, which a lot of people do not do. And, and your mental health is kind of all encompassing, right? Because if you're sacrificing relationships or you're sacrificing 
you know, anything throughout your life, it's going to come back and bite you in the end because Mm -hmm. that's not sustainable, right? Like you're, you're going to throw everything else away in the pursuit of one thing. Then at some point you're going to realize that, and it's going to derail you from whatever it is you're doing. So, you know, for me, it's been, you know, I'm not going to do anything that will put my mental health at risk again. And knowing myself, like I know myself now, you know, obviously it's taken years to get to this point, any form of restriction is very counterproductive for me, Mm. any form of like requiring myself to exercise. Like I really enjoy it now and I want it to stay that way. And so I'm willing to protect that relationship that I have with movement and with food over anything else, over a body type. Like now I look at myself and yeah, I'm not as lean and maybe I could lose a few pounds and like be happy with that. But I also look at my body and it's like, just so it's not insignificant to me because I certainly can be vain and insecure. Yeah. It's just not, uh, when I look at the big picture, I'm constantly drawn to that big picture of all of the things in my life that matter to me. And it's just a very small piece. So I'm able to walk away from that and, you know, have that peace of mind of, you know, it's, it's such a small piece that I can go focus on a million other things and find happiness there. Right. So with your, you talk about, um, your mental health and I agree, that's the hardest transformation to create. How have you be, how did you reverse engineer your mental health, especially in the midst of all of this? You kind of, it sounded like you almost had an epiphany. You're like, I don't want to lead this type of life, but, you know, we can all know that when you're in these certain patterns and you practice these certain behaviors, that changing that can take a while and can take a lot of perseverance. So what do you do to harness and to cherish your, your mental state? So for most of my life, I've demonized and created like good versus bad foods. And so like the first thing that I did when I was transitioning away from macros and this restrictive lifestyle that I've been living for so many years was just completely wiping that clean and saying there are no good or bad foods. Like I'm going to eat what I want instead of what I feel I should be eating. And now I have a little bit of a different perspective on it or a little different spin on it to where the things that I eat now I think, do I want it, but is it going to make me feel good? Or I focus Mm. more so on how I'm going to feel as opposed to that want or not want. Uh, I think when I first started transitioning away, it was eat the things that I want. Like that was the first step, like eat what I want, exercise when I want. And for a long time, I didn't exercise. I would maybe go for walks because that did Mm. feel good, but I didn't require myself to go lift at the gym. I didn't follow a bodybuilding split anymore. Like I just let go of all of that restriction mm. and did what I wanted. Okay. And there was a certain point where what I was wanting wasn't necessarily serving me and helping me feel good. And mm. so I thought back, okay, what are some of the things that helped me feel really good that I can just start adding in? It was not about taking things out. It was like, what can I add in to help me feel really good? So I yeah. started doing uh, like greens, like I do opti greens from first form that was kind of the first thing where I was like, okay, I really want to start putting my health first. And so it was a way for me to invest in my health. That took me like two minutes to get it done. 
And then from there, again, just adding things in that helped me feel really good. And that's really how I structure my days now is like, what can I do to help me feel really good throughout the day? Give me energy. What can I do to help me feel really good through my workouts that can help me recover from my workouts? Mm. And I want to enjoy everything too, because if you're not enjoying what you're doing, it won't be sustainable. And that's something that I, I firmly stand behind and that I practice in my everyday life. I enjoy everything that I do. And that is how I've been able to sustain this for as many years as I have is because I genuinely enjoy these things. I get a lot of like message to me and be like, you're so gross. And I like, and I add the reds in too, and I really enjoy how that tastes. And it's because I enjoy how that tastes that I do it every single day. If I hated how it tasted, I wouldn't do it. So if you don't like it and it's not for you, then find something else. It's that trial and error process of, okay, this might not work for you. You might not like this. Just like I might not, not like a different product. It doesn't mean that there's something wrong. It's just the not right for you. Totally. And I like, I, I, I think the main point too, that you mentioned is more of like breaking your thoughts and your habits down and being more intentional about the life that you want to live, you know, and thinking about it as, um, in term of like the big, the big picture, what is your end goal in life and how do you want to feel? How do you want to show up? What gives you energy? What lights you up in life? Um, so I love, I love that message. So you are, you know, you have a lot of followers on Instagram. Do you have to deal with trolls? Yeah. Um, and I think it's so, it's still so rare for me. I don't know how I've gotten into like this really positive and uplifting circle of people. Really? Okay. Really rare for me. And when it does happen though, I do get really triggered by it because Sometimes, I mean, no matter how, I mean, people think that they know you right and they think that they've nailed you and they have you all figured out. And so sometimes I feel like, oh, they like, this is true. Like what they're saying is there's some element of truth to what they're saying and their negativity and the way that they're looking at me and the way that they feel about me is really negative. And so a part of me feels like there's some truth to it. So it's hard for me to disassociate from some of the words that I receive that are super negative because a part of me still sometimes feel feels that negativity toward myself. Mm. And so that's a battle that I struggle with again, not super often. I think if I saw it more often, I would be able to disassociate with it better. Okay. Um, I relate that to like when I first started being really vulnerable and sharing on social media, it was really hard for me um, because I really feared the like what people would say, what people would think, especially the people that I knew personally, like in my life, mm-hmm. um, the fact that I had kept so much of this a secret from so many people that made me really nervous. Um, but the more that I did it, the more comfortable and confident I became with embracing myself and who I was and sharing my story. And I think the same kind of can translate into the negative comments. Like if I got more of them, I think I'd be more desensitized. Right. But because I don't get so many, not that I'm saying that's good. (laughs) (laughs) Well, how often would you say that you've received them? Because I know other people say that they receive them all the time, especially with the number of followers you have. How often would you say that you're hit with a negative comment? I would say last year, it would be like every two or three weeks. I would get one. Now, this year, I think maybe like every other month, like it's really 
it's like really so insignificant, but I also, I think part of that is Instagram now channels things through different inboxes on Instagram. So I, and I try and answer every direct message that I get. It's very, you do. Uh huh. I tried, I tried to, and, but now they have like your, uh, like close friends. And then there's, I don't know, there's like a bunch of different inboxes, right? Like also a separate inbox for like hidden messages. So I think it's always like the advertisements of like, grow your Instagram, right? (laughs) Get shuttled, uh, channeled into that, like kind of closed inbox. Yeah. And I also think some of the negativity gets funneled into there too. I think that's my, like, that's my guess. I'm like, why? <laughs> what? Instagram is like, this is really me. And so we're going to hide it. That would be amazing. Well, you know what? There has to be some science behind that. Because if you think about like the amount of people that, especially teenagers that use TikTok and Instagram and, and Facebook and, um, you know, the amount of the, um, numbers of deaths, you know, related to suicide. So there has to be some type of, yeah, algorithm that is catching those negative comments, but what is the most hurtful thing someone has said to you and how did you respond? Um, I mean, like I said, I get emotional things like as, as confident and self-assured as I am, I think I'm a pretty sensitive person. I wouldn't say I'm an emotional person, but I can be pretty sensitive. Right. And one thing that really upset me was I, I was doing my reds and greens and I brought them with me on a trip or something. And someone said, Oh, like you're like, it was a long message, basically being like, you pretend like you're uh, healed from your eating disorder, but clearly you can't go a day without your reds and greens. Like basically saying like, you're such a liar, you're not recovered. And, um, you know, that I was, yeah, like I was a liar and pretending and that I had so many issues and that really hurt because I feel really good with where I'm at in my life. And, you know, the fact that I haven't binged or purged in, you know, over a couple of years, like, I'm really proud of that. And it's not Mm -hmm. something I talk about a lot. I don't talk about my eating disorder a lot either. Like that's something I somewhat stay away from talking about all the time on social media, Mm -hmm. but to have someone directly say like, you're a liar and that like, and I, and you know, sometimes I have disordered eating thoughts, but that doesn't mean that I act on them. Mm -hmm. So it was just a little triggering for me to have someone say those things to me. And it made me question myself too, which I hated I hate that. Like, oh my God, do I like, like, am I still like essentially broken? Like, am I still so heavily struggling with this thing? If someone's saying that this is what they're observing um, and it did not come from a place of like love and respect, this also kind of shed some light on that. Like, it'd be different if a close friend was like, Hey, I'm worried about you. Right. But like, it was not at all in that context. So that was probably one of the more hurtful ones that I received. And a large portion of my audience, I say, I would say is like female and has gone through very similar things. So I think anyone who's been through an eating disorder has gone through what I've gone through and have a stranger say like those things would probably hurt. Totally, totally. If you are listening to this episode, I know that you live a very busy life and maybe you struggle with healthy eating. 
I enjoy nutritious foods, but I don't want to spend hours in the kitchen. So I have created something called muesli. Now, muesli has oats, it has almonds, chia seed, flax seed, hemp seed, coconut, cacao, and cinnamon. I think I got it all. And it's high in fiber, low in sugar, only three grams of sugar, and nine grams of protein, 10 grams of fiber. And it is keeping me full after my workouts. I don't eat breakfast. I have this after my workout. And I'm not hungry until late afternoon or dinner. And I am not the only one who has been loving muesli. I have a woman, she's pregnant, and she was eating Chipotle burritos every single day because everything else was making her nauseous until she tried muesli. If you are interested in this, all you have to do is go to mymoosely.com. That's mymoosely.com. I'll leave all the information in the show notes. It's affordable. It has five servings. It will make your life so much easier because all you have to do is pour it into a bowl, add a little bit of milk, and you're good to go. Mymoosely.com. Okay, so when you got that message, how did you respond? Did you just kind of like let it go or did you take the time to respond back? So I definitely responded mm. and were you like, you asshole? No, <laughs> no, I know. I definitely wasn't like, I wasn't bending over backwards being like, thank you so much for <laughs> your- bringing that to my attention. Yeah. <laughs> like it was, a little, it was a little snarky. I'm sure how I responded, but it took me a while to respond because I was so caught off guard. And a lot of times too, when I'm nervous about something, I'll like call my sister and I'll talk to her about it. And it'll, that's like my therapy. I'll like call my sister and we'll talk about it. Like, how do I respond? You know, like yeah. she's my little um, PR gal. <laughs> <laughs> and, I'm like, and, you know, just talking about it too, I think helps give you some clarity. And I suggest that to everybody. Okay. So um, in... One of your posts or in a few of your posts, you talk about your, your weight, your height and your measurements. And in one of them, you said, um, you know, you wanted to share a reminder that five, four and 165 pounds, what it can look like. Why have you decided to share your measurements when, you know, most women, um, don't like discussing those things. I think that's a big reason why is because it's not talked about or advertised or celebrated. Uh, I myself struggled with being more than 120 pounds when I was a kid. I struggled with being, I struggled with even reaching a hundred pounds as a kid because I thought it was a negative thing. I struggled reaching 150, you know, that number on the scale and measurements was something that I, um, I guess held a lot of discomfort in. And for me personally, being able to share that has taken away a lot of the power of those numbers Mm -hmm. that they once had over me and how I felt about myself. So personally, it's helped me a lot to share those things. Uh, But I also think that it's really helpful to be more loud and like proud of them as opposed to hiding and being scared to share those things, because I know I'm not the only one who weighs more than 150 pounds right. and I, I have no issue with that, but I know a lot of people who will struggle with those numbers and feel 
less than because of them. And mm-hmm. so I, and my hope with sharing it is that it kind of takes away the power that those numbers will have on other people the same way it takes away the power, the discomfort that those numbers once had for myself. Right. Yeah. No, I love that. Uh, you talk about mindset and you talk about moving your body because you want to feel a certain way. What, or do you have any daily routines that are very sacred and important to you? Uh, a few things that I do every day to feel just my best. I always start with coffee in the morning. I put protein in it. It helps me just kind of start the day on a really high note. I love it. Uh, It also helps me feel like I'm doing something for my body. Um, so I love it. It's something that contributes to my overall health and wellness. I go for daily walks. I try and hit, you know, eight to 10,000 steps. It's a lot harder in this summer heat than it normally is, but I try and get, you know, some movement in and it's a good gauge for me. I don't obsess over that number. If I'm under, I'm under, I don't really care. Some days I'm over and I also don't really care about that, but Mm -hmm. I want to know, okay, did I have a really sedentary day? Was I really active and doing stuff? And how does that relate to my energy levels, my focus? Because if I'm really inactive, I actually feel less focused and less energized. Um, Or if I had a day where I was really active, maybe I'm extremely tired. And that gives me an indication of kind of where I'm falling on that scale. Another thing I do every day is reds and greens at the end of my day, which has probiotics in it, has digestive enzymes, and then a variety of micronutrients that I know my body needs to function optimally that I know I probably don't get through a variety and high volume of fruits and vegetables. So those are kind of the things that I would say I lean on, on a day-to-day basis that I have pretty consistently throughout that help me feel really good. Obviously sleep is on top of there too. I'll work out, I'll sweat a little bit, uh, but that's not every day either. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. I love hearing about just, you know, the different routines that people follow and how, how you feel your best. You talk about protein, do you, and and macros, you talked about like not counting before is uh, getting a certain number of grams of proteins, like important to you. Yeah. So that's the one thing that I would say I prioritize throughout my day. I don't necessarily track every day, but I have some idea of probably if I'm on goal or far from it based on what I've had to eat that day. I don't count it. Like I'm not like, oh, that's 20 grams. That's 30 grams. I just prioritize protein throughout my day. And then sometimes I'll film what I eat throughout the day and show people how I reach the numbers that I reach for protein, Mm -hmm. which is so second nature to me now because I spent so many years tracking and hitting protein goals, but, you know, under consuming protein has a negative effect on performance and training recovery. And also protein helps you stay satiated throughout the day. So that's why I prioritize it and recommend other people do as well. Mm, Interesting. So, uh, if, if, uh, listeners want to follow you, where can, where, where they can, can they find you? I'm stumbling over my words here. <laughs> so my Instagram handle is at the Sam plan. And I, like I mentioned before, I try and answer every DM. So if you guys want to reach out and have a conversation or ask a question, I'm always available in my direct messaging. I also have an email address that I answer everything as well. And that might be the 
easiest and quickest way to get a response from me. And that my email address is samplanme at gmail.com. And I'll leave all that information um, in this show notes. If you're looking to be motivated, inspired, uplifted, lifted, I think you should really follow Sam. She has great content. And I just want to say thank you for sharing your journey with us. And I know it hasn't been an easy one, but your message and your journey, I know can help so many women because the things that you share are very, very relatable. Relatable. There is not a woman out there who hasn't struggled with her body image or mindset or comparison. So uh, I just appreciate you being very transparent and showing up as uh, your authentic self. Thank you so much for giving me a safe space to do that and a platform to share on. I really appreciate it. And I love these types of opportunities and I'm just so grateful for you. Yay. All right, you guys, if you love the show, make sure you screenshot it, tag Sam and myself. I'll leave our Instagram handles in the show notes. Um, And remember, you've got this. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you love this episode, make sure you are subscribed so you know when more episodes come available. My goal is to inspire others to become their vision. And one way to get the word out is with reviews. I would really appreciate it if you left an honest review on iTunes and it would mean so much to me. Thanks again. And remember to go after the life you want. Bye guys. Bye guys.